0: Assalamu alaikum. Oh my gosh, and welcome. See, my mind, you get sidetracked when you have conversations before the podcast starts. So, assalamu alaikum, and welcome to another episode of the Dr. Will Show, where I interview educators and entrepreneurs on leveling up. Each episode, I zoom in someone who's dope, and we we'll just sit back and have a conversation on what it means to live your best life. Now, if this is your first time checking out the podcast, This is the Mobile University for Entrepreneurs, and I'm your host, Dr. Will. Today, we are doing another author talk, and we actually have a book written, co-written by three people. What is going to happen? (laughs) (laughs) What is going to happen today? Uh, The book is The Evolving Learner, and today we have Dr. Uh, Christy Andre, Dr. Lauren Steinman, and Laney people. Laney Rowell. is it Rawell?
1: It's uh, Rowell like Powell, but with Rowell.
0: See, yeah. you know, okay, Rowell. I, I want to say... hear
1: each other's names on Twitter, so how are we supposed to learn them, right?
0: I want to say your name correctly, Rowell. <laughs> I just want to say it right. Sometimes people say something, my name I say, I just don't care as long. As what is correcting my check. That's what matters uh, (laughs) uh, to me. Uh, So we're going to be talking again about their book. And uh, I want to ask you, uh, for those who'll be listening on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Simplecast, Stitcher, and Spotify, will you please introduce yourselves? All
1: right. I'm Lainey Rao. I am an evolving learner, obviously. I'm an author, a podcaster and um, an international consultant and former classroom teacher and district leader. And very grateful to have um, to have an opportunity to come back. Thank you, Dr. Will.
2: You're welcome. Christy, you're up. All right,
3: well, um, I'm Christy Andre. I am, you know, obviously the co-author, but I am currently serving as a principal um, I for an elementary school, I've taught um, elementary, middle and high. Um, and my experiences also rain. Uh, I taught in South Africa, South Africa for a couple of years, which was a great experience. And I'm also a um, adjunct professor. So I kind of rain around.
2: All right, and I'm Lauren Steinman. I am also an elementary school principal in Southern California, and um, for a long time, I was a classroom teacher. I taught first, second, and fifth grade, and I also served as a instructional coach in our district, and then also um, a STEM TOSA uh, for a little bit, and I'm also a mom. I know we're all moms, but I always, I'm it's like, so good. my little kids, I have um, a first grader and a third grader. So that keeps me quite busy as well. <laughs>
0: All right. So, I want to ask you, as an educator, what does it mean for you to be yourself and everything that makes you who you are?
1: Wow, we're, we're going deep, right right out of the gate, Doctor Will. <laughs> Um, who am I? What do I, what am do I doing here? Um, <laughs> well, um, I don't, I don't, I don't need to go first. Christy, you want to, you want to go first?
2: I can, I'll, I'll, I'll pop uh, on here. Cause like, I think that, um, at least I think we're talking about like authenticity. And I think that really when it comes to what I see as an administrator and what I felt as an educator when I was in the classroom is that really the best teachers who can reach kids the best are the ones who are themselves and who are authentic when they're there and showing their best self to their kids. Um, And then I think that that really also creates kind of like a safe space um, so that kids feel like they're appreciated, like they're humans who actually have voice and choice and uh, that I mean, I I think is one of the most key things as far as being a successful educator.
3: Yeah, agreed. Like, I feel like it's all about kids being seen and heard. And my, like, main, like, phrase that I always say is, and even for my own son, is I just want them to feel loved, cared for, and safe. So, and I want to feel loved, cared for, and safe. So I'm very relational, and I just try to be... Just be me like there's moments where I think we armor um, where it gets a little tricky where we get maybe uncomfortable and I try to um, I'm learning to maybe shed some of that. And when things get uncomfortable. I try to physically even lean into it to just be me and be real, especially with parents and kids and teachers.
1: I'm glad you mentioned, you know, definitely with our with our learners, you know, our littles, um, but also with adults, right? That vulnerability and authenticity is really important with our peers, and uh, whether they're parents, families, um, teachers, other leaders. I think that's really important. And I think um, for me, the last, in fact, this book, putting this book out was a huge step for me in being like really vulnerable and sharing my thinking and where my heart is and what you know, it was really important to me, and the whole book is about relationships, so it doesn't surprise me that all three of us gravitate to talking about authenticity and relationships. So, very important.
0: So, we have you here because you are the authors uh, of The Involving Learner. What is the backstory behind you writing the book?
1: <laughs> you want the origin story. All yeah. right, so this is kind of an interesting one, ladies. Uh, I'll start and then I'll, I'll let you guys. Jump in. I'd love to hear your side of the story. (laughs) This is like a very long that I'm going to try and make very short origin story. So, um, back in 2014, Alan November asked me to be a part of his keynote panel for his conference. And he said, I specifically want you to talk about professional learning. I had never been asked to speak specifically on the topic of professional learning. I had like a whole year to prep for it. And um, like the big thing that I came to was that we need to learn from our kids, from peers, and from the world. And so that was this like 15 minute talk that I got to do. That was it. And um, so I gave the talk and like, it was really well received. And I was like, oh my gosh, maybe. And even Corwin approached me at that conference and they said, we'd like you to write a book on professional learning and building capacity. And I thought, okay, well, I feel like the universe is telling me something. It's telling me I should write a book because I'd had a lot of trouble, you know, actually getting to a point to write a book. And so um, I- I just said, okay, I'm going to get a co-author because it seems silly to write a book about learning with others and do it by myself because the whole idea was this was going to be a learning process. So I actually originally had a totally different co-author and he was so great, but he was like, you know what? I don't really like writing. I just have decided it's not for me. And so, which we know it's not for everyone. And so at the same, around the same time, um, uh, it was Robert Craven. I was talking to him and I said, I need co-authors that are ready to write. And he's like, I've got two people. They're amazing. And, um, I'm, I there was actually a moment where there was four of us, right? There was four of us. <laughs> okay. and then, yeah. And then as soon as, as soon as I had you two, he's like, okay, I know you're good. You don't need me anymore. So I'm going to bow out. So it was, it was kind of a crazy thing. But as soon as, uh, as soon as Christy and Lauren, once they were part of the team, It was go time and it, I mean, it still took us a few years because we took our time with it, but um, yeah, that was, that was kind of it. I don't know, Lauren, what do you, yeah, I mean, no, I, I,
2: I just remember because it feels like it was so long ago, but I mean, we, uh, Christy and I had like just finished our doctorate and so we had just finished um, writing our dissertations and that was, you know, quite a lot of writing and (laughs) I was pretty surprised that I would turn around and go, yeah, sure, we'll do something like that again. But it was very much something that Christy and I wanted to get involved with. And then also, I mean, we were both um, heavily involved in Q, Computer Using Educators. And so Elaine was on the board of directors at Q as well. And it was really just um, like a lot of worlds sort of colliding and stuff. And so Christy and I, um, we still do. We, we've done a lot of um, speaking together, a lot of presentations together. We love doing that sort of thing and, um, you know, bringing information to people and bringing educators together. So it seemed like a really good fit. I mean, I will definitely say like writing a book is a huge undertaking and we learned so much along the way and it was such a cool process. Um, but it, it's it been so great to just connect. And I mean, Lainey's like fantastic. And I always, I always have loved working with Christy. So it was just really, really great.
0: Yeah. Wow. I can't believe that you said yes after the, the <laughs> dissertation because I know – someone uh, someone asked me to I was like look I'm done I'm just.
2: <laughs> Yeah but you know I mean it was it was similar but also extremely different <laughs> which is which is very nice too so we got we got to put a lot of our own voice behind what we were doing and you know it was a lot less academic but so fun Yeah
0: Awesome awesome so I want to get into something because in my role as a district instructional technologist, I I tell people that I can sort of divide my role into a coach and a consultant. You know, sometimes I coach them up and we're asking, I'm asking questions, trying to build off of their strengths. And then others, I'm, I'm a consultant. I'm coming in, do this, do that, do this. We roll out. In your book, you talk about professional development versus professional learning. And I don't know how many of us who work in the field actually think of them as being different because in our school districts, they're all, it's just PD, what's what's the PD calendar, what's going on? So what would you say is the difference between professional development and professional learning? No, well, do you
2: want to jump on, lightning?
0: Okay, oh,
2: I, I was just gonna say, you know, I think, early on in the book, um, and as far as like development in all of our conversations, um, we talked a lot about like, you know, professional development, like PD, and how that is something that really like happens to educators in their jobs that there's no choice there, really. It's usually like, yeah, give me the calendar. What are we learning about? What am I supposed to be super jazzed about? <laughs> and there's not a lot of choice and therefore I think that there's like a loss of empowerment there um where educators just don't feel like hey if I'm really excited about something like where would I go and get that like how do how do I figure out how to do that um who can be kind of like in my community and who can I learn from and so that's really like the the basis of the book is hey here's a lot of tools so that you can go out and you can learn whatever you want and you don't have to wait for someone to bring it to you. You don't have to wait for PD day. You can do it on your own. You can go out and find new people who will, you know, get super excited with you and, um, really change yourself for the better and like change your career and therefore change your kids' lives Mm -hmm. because you are reinvigorated and are are, like here for the work.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think just to add to that, Lauren, like the the things that we kind of learned, you know, we, we had this idea of we want to talk about how you can learn from kids, peers in the world and not or, right? Like all of those, we should be doing all of those things. Um, but one of the things that for me became really, um, and, I, and I know that I speak for Lauren and Christian on this, the, the importance of cycles of inquiry, right? Like that we have to pick a focus and we have to commit to that. And I think that that sometimes, and and we talk in the book about how like, you can call it PD. We're not saying that the the term itself is innately bad. And and we know a lot of people that are doing very innovative things um, and they still call it PD and that's fine, that's fine. We're just trying to say, it's time to really think about what's important in how we grow as educators. And so we're trying to distinguish it by saying professional learning. And here's what we know, we need to be learning from kids, peers in the world. It's got to be around a cycle of inquiry. And then another theme that came in through the book, which um, I think we all had in the back of our minds, but we didn't realize how explicit it would be throughout the book is social emotional learning. And not just about for kids, but for adults too. And so there's actually in the in the chapter on peers, a ton of resources of um, SEL practices that you could do with adults, not just with kids. It actually works for both. But so I think that that's, Kind of some of the stuff that that we want is when we're saying professional learning that's it's the ideas we care about, not so much the the terminology
0: so when you talk about being specific i want I want you to spend a little time with that because when I was doing my dissertation, uh, which was an action research project with teachers on using Twitter for professional development, I made sure every participant in the study had a specific goal of what they wanted to learn so that they didn't just get on Twitter and either become overwhelmed by the feed or just wander and scroll. But these were specific objectives that, if you say, I wanna learn about iPads in the classroom, that you are following people who are teaching with iPads in the classroom so that this will be beneficial to you. If you will speak on that when, when you're talking about you know, expanding and learning from the world, or even learning from peers, why they should be very targeted and what they're trying to do as to not overwhelm themselves or get off track.
2: Yeah, I mean, it, we actually have a whole section in the book. Um, I believe it's in learning from the world when we talk about like social media in particular and how, you know, yes, there's you could learn literally anything But it can pull you down a rabbit hole so fast. And then that's not learning. That's wasting your time, right? And so, you know, you kind of have to go in with, um, you know, focusing in on, okay, what do I want to learn? What do I want to explore? And then you turn that into, okay, well, I'm going to refine that down into like the nitty gritty of steps I need to follow or people that I need to connect with. And where are the communities that are doing the thing that I want to be doing and then utilizing social media in a way that's going to like leverage yourself and not drain and not pull away from what you're doing because it is so easy just like you said i mean it's so easy to get completely overwhelmed a and just completely walk away from it or you're just like suddenly watching cat videos for four hours so <laughs> that's not what we want
1: yeah so, i mean you have to have that focus and i i love i'm a big austin cleon fan he he influences my work a lot, and he has this um, saying: more search, less feed. So I like to think about you know algorithms when we're when we're searching online. They're they're looking at what we're we're clicking on, and they're feeding us the things that we want. That's what ends up in our feed, right? Stuff that we would most likely like, and so. That's great, but I know what I need to find. So I need to go search that out, not just hope that it lands in my feed based on some algorithm deciding this is what we think Lainey is gonna like. So I really think, and and even if even, I think this applies, this finding this focus. We talk about this in our cycle of inquiry. You've got to focus on it, learn about it, refine, reflect, that's our cycle of inquiry. Um, This is something that I believe was a challenge pre-pandemic. But right now, especially, I feel like we all feel like we're putting out a million different fires. And so there's like that Covey um, quadrants, right? It's like important and urgent, important, not urgent, urgent, not important. And I feel like we're spending a lot of time on the urgent, not important because we're just overwhelmed. And I think it's important to take a step back and like even just coming up, like, let's take it from like an ed tech perspective. If someone comes to you and says like, hey, have you heard of this tool? You have to think about like, what's your focus? What's your problem of practice? And then say, is this tool gonna help me? And if the answer is no, you say, thank you for that recommendation. I'm gonna look into that a little bit later. Right now, I am focused on giving meaningful, timely feedback and I don't feel like that tool is gonna help with that. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna stick to this and focus on that. And you know what's so funny is that I
2: think back to what we were just previously talking about as far as like professional learning versus professional development, right? So like really what we drill down to is that like what Lainey just described is professional learning. I'm coming here with an idea, a question, a need, and searching out the answer for that and then following a cycle of inquiry versus what we think of as professional development as professional educators would be like, oh, you don't want to learn about this. That's okay. Sit here for four hours and we're going to learn about it. <laughs> so, you know, it really that's, you know, again, taking the reins back a little bit and figuring out what it is that you need and, and doing the work, but um, for yourself.
0: So I want to throw this out there to you. How can schools do a better job at that? Because the reality is it's an organization that has its own goals and things they have to accomplish. If they've spent a hundred thousand dollars on this program, they're going to want someone to use that program. If they've rolled out this, they, they want this to be done. But as you mentioned earlier, like I've literally have been sent to schools to do trainings and the coach is there and he's like, why am I here? What does this have to do with me? Yeah. And then I have to, you know, go glad you asked. And then give him something a little more so he can walk away in you. So he doesn't feel like someone drug him somewhere and and, and talking about giving teachers sort of choice and giving them greater agency and focus how can schools do a better job at that while balancing what they actually are trying to accomplish as a district
1: so one of the things we talk about in learning from peers is how we need to have this school-wide focus defined we as a school are doing this X, Y, and Z. We're focused on um, high quality feedback or we're focused on engagement, right? I think a lot of times going back to the the PD, PD can be focused on a tool or things like that. Like we wanna focus on what's our goal? What What is it we're trying to accomplish? So we talk about in the book how we need to have this collective cycle of inquiry, right? Like we're all focused on this one thing, but if the big idea is feedback, well, what Laney needs as far as focusing on giving quality feedback is different than what Lauren needs and what Christy needs. So we have to be giving the space for educators who have times with their teams and individually. And so we want to, we really need to be, it's hard, we get it, it's hard, um, but we want to move away from compliance, like the coach has to sit there at a, at a, <laughs> at a training because Um, everyone has to be at the training. Like we have to start to do more of the personalized experiences for adults, just the way that we want it for kids, right? So we wanna do, the workshops are great for kickoff and this is our collective cycle of inquiry, but then we've got to drill down to the PLCs and the individual work and the coaching and things like that.
3: Yeah, and you say, how can schools do this differently? Ask, (laughs) ask, ask them, what do you need? Like I um, started the new year off just going to each teacher and just asking this simple question. What do you need? What do you need for me? What do you need in general? And it's been eye-opening just to see the little needs that the teachers need, um, even down to like equipment or software or a tip or time. And oftentimes they just need time. Like I've been trying to do um, little pockets where I can cover them so they can go see somebody else. Sign up for the gift of time, 30 minutes, any for the rest of the year, any any day of the week, as long as I'm available, I can come and cover you. Because I think truly teachers are going to learn from each other, talking to each other, and they're going to have buy-in if it's something that they want and something they need. So by asking and then giving them that, allowing that time and giving them the permission. Because honestly, when we do that, it is the things that we want them to, mm-hmm. to do, anyways. So if I'm looking at my school and my school focus. Um, what they're asking for is what I'm like, yeah, I do want you to do that. I do want you to learn that, but I'm not telling them that. I'm trying to really encourage them to, to want it on their own.
0: So we hear this all the time on Twitter. We, we, we hear this at conferences. And what I'm talking about is who owns the learning and, you know, what does student, ownership of their learning, what does that really look like, especially now when we're talking about the context of this pandemic learning and so many schools are having to be hybrid or completely virtual?
1: So I'm going to take what Christy said about just ask as, as like a big tip for what we could do with our learners in the classrooms or in the virtual classrooms, I should say. But, you know, I think that when, um, as a consultant, one of my big roles is to do coaching and I've spent all week coaching teams and I hear a lot of frustration over, well, the kids aren't turning their cameras on or they're not showing up or this or that. And they say, what do we do? And I said, have you asked them why they don't want to put their camera on? Have you asked them? Why they don't, have you, you know, have you co-created expectations? Have you all had a conversation about when they don't do something that we want, that we decided as a community, how that's going to go? And I think we have, and I know a lot of people, the teachers I'm working with this week, they're all back, they're starting their second term. So it's, we don't need to wait for that, but it's a great opportunity to revisit those expectations. And how do we, as a group, this is how we're going to work together. And so we talk about that a lot, ownership of learning in the book and how we, need to be thoughtful about how can we move from teacher driven to learner driven. And when we say learner driven, we don't mean just the kids or the quote unquote students, we mean all of us because we wanna to move to this community of learners where it's like, we're, we're facilitating probably a good portion of the time or at least some of the time, but there's times where kids are facilitating. There's times where kids are leading. And so we really want to wanna to shift that because and I'll let Christy and Lauren jump in here, but for me, I feel like what my, and I think adults across the board did this in March of last year, we kind of retreated into like old practices. Even if we were doing really good at having kids own the learning in the face-to-face classroom, in that crazy cuckoo bananas time where we had to like shift to online learning and overnight, it was a lot of like, okay, well, I can talk in the Zoom. I can lecture in the Zoom. And that we know that's not what we want to be doing in those live lessons. So I think it's really, really a mindset in a way. We have to be thinking about, okay, when this isn't working, ask them to help you. And then what are the opportunities to step back? I'm talking too much. How do I get them to talk? How do I get them to do peer-to-peer? And I'm big on peer-to-peer experiences because our kids are isolated. I am so worried, especially about our secondary kids that really don't get a lot of time with their peers. Um, so I want, I want them to have those opportunities to talk to each other. So really pulling away as best we can. We can do it now. Even in emergency remote, we can still do it.
2: Yeah. I mean, I really think this also, and and I might just kick this over to Christy because this is also a, a big zone for her, but like where we have this SEL lens, because it really talks about kind of like respect in general. And just like, you know, if you ask teachers what they need and you talk with them and you treat them like, you know, people, um, students are exactly the same you know if they know that you respect them and they know that you are genuinely interested in what they have to say they are going to produce for you and they will give you a different side of themselves and that's Mm. i mean we see that over and over again and i think that you know yes it's it's so easy sometimes to retreat into kind of like old ways of thinking and old ways of doing which also includes like i'm going to hold everything here as the teacher and then release as needed versus like we're all part of like a learning community. And that is super difficult to do online. And um, again, that goes back to going to the teachers and saying I know this is super tough. Um, here are some tools, here's some ways to re-engage, here's some ways to um, maybe connect with your students in a different way, because we, we absolutely have to.
3: powerful man that we have to um i know i there was like a few things that i was thinking as you guys were talking because of with these i've i see the old practices but that's mostly just because it's like fear and overwhelmed and burnout and we don't know um and there's also the packaged curriculum that every district kind of went into and like quickly purchased and then threw out and then it's like we know it's not the best right um and so what we've kind of seen is um teachers going through this like cycle of I'm going to use the package curriculum. Oh, I'm going to kind of lean away from it. Then starting to go back into the better practices that we know are amazing. Like I think of um, readers and writers workshop where that is completely led by the student because it's all about their level. It's all about them falling in love with reading and writing. Um, And I think of them just like connecting and leading it and growing through one-on-one conferences or through peer partnerships. Um, But one thing that I do that I think is super important which you guys kind of brought up was um, just checking in with our learners because if we're not asking at the beginning of the day how are you feeling? Um, And one way we do it is just through a Google form like hey what what zone are you in today for the zones of regulation or um, uh, like I was thinking of Mark Brackett and just his, um, oh, I'm, oh, the, thank you, mood meter. So, like, what mood meter are you on? What level are you on? Um, and just being able to pick and then um, through a Google form because it's private. Because we can't really do like the one on one conversations anymore with kids unless it's like in a breakout room. So, having this one little window, and even our littles can do it all the way to up and to our, you know, up, our high schoolers, but having like a little flat, Um, box that says like what do you want to tell your teacher and we've been doing this with our classes and it's funny to hear what they tell you and you're like oh I would if I wouldn't have asked I wouldn't have known and then now I understand why you're quiet in the back or why you're shutting your screen off or like we make up stories in our head of why kids are doing that uh, but giving them the space of um, asking them even through just a simple google form every day is
1: powerful. And, and one thing I just want to throw in, just from my experience as an online teacher, is this is an amazing opportunity. Like when we would have kids, back when I was in a district, we would have kids who were labeled as struggling or not motivated learners, and they would go to take an online class and these kids would come alive because they got to share their thinking in a discussion board where they got to carefully craft their ideas rather than raise their hand in front of all their peers and risk embarrassment because they couldn't craft their response the way they wanted to. So I, I'm optimistic, and I believe a lot of educators are jumping at this chance to rethink the synchronous and the asynchronous and how can we leverage those different opportunities to really get to that learner driven. That's what we want.
0: Y'all are so evolved.
1: <laughs> Why, thank you.
0: I am. Nice, my,
1: nice placement. Thank you.
0: <laughs> my, my thought process is just so like, whew, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just a different cat. I'm, I mean, you're saying some things that are awesome, but I'm, look, I'm a different cat. I'm one, I'm one of those dudes that I tell kids when I get a chance to talk to them, I'm like, listen, I don't care if you don't like that teacher. I don't care if that teacher don't like you you better get that work done for yourself. I don't care if your mama don't support you, grandma, this is your life, you gotta put forth the effort, and if you're wearing a paper hat to work at the age of 35, you have no one to blame but yourself. Now, that might not be appropriate, but when I talk to them, for me, it's all about sort of the self-determination, self-efficacy in terms of, I need you to own your life and not put the onus of whether or not you succeed on anyone else. Right. So if the teacher isn't teaching like a pirate, I don't care. Like I need you to do what you need to do.
2: Yeah. And I mean, I think we're all saying the same thing, but just in different ways, you know, really, because it is putting, you know, um, not the responsibility on the individual, but really like, empowering the individual to seek out what they need right and that's as much on kids as it is on adults and saying hey like if you want this or need this you're working for it and you're doing it you know and here's the tools to do it and we'll all support you but and then also how do you then interact with your peers and go out into the world and show how to do what you just did right I mean I think that that's just the thing.
0: So we know that teachers traditionally have been charged with disseminating information, being the repositories of knowledge. Uh, And and in your book, you talk about how teachers should be learning from their students. So what are some of the best practices or strategies for doing so?
1: So I'll I'll just, this is Lainey. I'll just say, I'm a big fan and, I think Lauren and Christy are with me, I like to design for inquiry. So I'm totally understanding that the teacher is going to be responsible for curating great resources and guiding the learning. But rather than a teacher lecturing, um, I'd rather curate some really great resources and give kids some choice about how they can explore that content before I dive into direct instruction. So I really want them to have that opportunity for inquiry, and, and then I want them to have opportunities to discuss with each other. I, I'm learning from them as I'm watching them explore. I'm learning from them as we're having discussions, whether they're live discussions, online discussions, and I'm learning from them through the demonstration their demonstration of knowledge. So it's always me trying to, you know, we tend to talk about in the book, we talk a lot about how formative assessment is a really powerful tool for learning from kids because we can, you know, adapt our practice based on what they're showing us. And then we also can learn from them by giving them opportunities to lead the learning. And so I, you know, there's so many, and I hear teachers um, like, I don't know what tool to use here. Have you asked your kids? They might have a great idea. I don't know how this activity should go. Have you asked your kids? They might have some thoughts about how to, maybe you're struggling with because we want to give as much choices as, as we can. Well, maybe you're struggling to come up with choices. Could you tell the kids, this is what we want? How, how could you demonstrate this? And give them, them some choices. You know, Doctor, will you talk about, I always love how you talk about not everyone needs to write a book, right? You did a documentary, so which is great by the way. I'm not getting paid to say that. It is awesome. But, you know, so I, might, I didn't think about a documentary, but you thought about that, right? So if we ask our learners, what are ways that we can get to here? So we know the destination. We don't necessarily know the route and there's multiple routes. So let's give them some opportunities.
3: Well, and it's a, it's a mindset change. I think we were so into teacher is expert. We cannot let the kids see that we're not the expert. And I think with distance learning and this whole pandemic, it has like totally ripped that um, facade off because teachers have to admit, like, I don't know how to use some of this technology. Help, right? And so having a shift in their mindset and being okay with, hey, can you teach me how? That's where the, it becomes empowering for our students. And to show that we're all learners. yeah, Like it doesn't matter what age you are, we're all learners and we can all learn from each other. And that it's okay to not know because there's not one teacher out here that knows everything. We all are learning from each other. And if you sit there and you go, oh, I don't know how to use Zoom, but does someone in the room, oh, you know how to use Zoom? Can you show me how? And can you get me on here? And can you show me how to use brick? Can you teach everybody else? I mean, that's powerful. And then that kid who may not have Um, the most success is now teaching the class and teaching the teacher. I mean, that's huge. That's huge, And this is the opportunity to to do that. But it is a mind shift because I've seen these teachers that are seasoned having a hard time admitting that. But once they let go, it's like, oh, I'm so glad that I asked because they're really good at it. And now I know how to do it.
2: Well, and really, I mean, I think you're totally right. I mean, there's no better way to like empower a kid who may be struggling or hasn't found their spark or anything than saying, hey, teach me, teach this guy, teach, you know, and really it kind of like levels and it shows the rest of the kids in the class. Hey, I respect this kid's talent and ability enough and trust them to share it with others. You know, I, I, I think that that's incredible. But really, you know, I think that modern teaching, I mean, teaching now is just, it's it's so different than even when I started my career and it's more about, you know, everyone, I mean, we're all all of us at least are in ed tech, but I mean, it's, there's so much information out there. It's overwhelming for everyone. And really we're teaching kids, not only how to navigate that world, but like how to consume information in a really like responsible way, but also in a way that they're going to be thoughtful and, you know, are able to really translate it in a way that then will like move toward changing things or, you know, teaching others. So um, that is very, very different than any school we ever went to. Certainly not like my elementary school experience where, you know, you went out and you got the Q encyclopedia to learn about something. You know, it's just not like that. So and, and I think the sooner that everyone acknowledges that, um, the better you are as a teacher. <laughs> what exactly
3: are you learning from the Q encyclopedia? I, I know I
2: pulled Q out and I was like, oh, shoot, oh. I don't know what I would have done. Queen's? I don't know.
0: <laughs> She's she going old school. She said encyclopedias.
2: You know, there are people who probably really still cherish their encyclopedias like as historical objects. So
0: yeah, those those same people like writing letters in the VCR. Exactly. <laughs> yes, yes. A little postage stamp penmanship. Uh, I, I want to talk to you now about sort of how do we move past rote memorization because most of the curriculum that school districts purchased are indeed predicated on students learning X, Y, and Z in this way, follow these steps with fidelity. How, do schools shake it up? How do they shake up their curriculum so that they do, in fact, empower their learners?
2: Ask lots of questions. (laughs) Ask the kids lots of questions. I mean, really, we talk about inquiry over and over and over again, and that's really what it is about. It's not, here's the information. It's, where's the information? How do you get there? What's the answer to this question? Why is this like that? Why is that like that? You know, just asking over and over again and then trusting and entrusting the learning into the kids' hands and letting them go out and explore and find.
3: Mm-hmm. Well, and I think the research, right? The yeah. research right now is telling you that rote memorization. I mean, it's, we're in this era of Google. You can Google everything. Why are we teaching them to memorize all these things? Nobody's using that. Um, and we even see it with math. And I was, I was trying to get Lauren to, I was hoping she could go. She'd she was yes, Joe Buller, but I was hoping you would tell your, um, your bird story. So there's your prime oh. ready. Um, <laughs> but I think like there was such an emphasis on, on math facts, but, and that doesn't help our number sense. So just even looking at that, why are we having this like row, oh, make sure you're practicing your times tables. And I see it all as time still. And it's like, why? What is the meaningful, authentic way to learn this that can really stick with you? Because all my experiences when I was growing up that I remember in school were not those time tests, were not those things that I, the dates that I memorized that I don't remember now, the names that I memorized that I don't remember now. They were the big projects. They were the recreating our whole classroom into this or that, you know.
1: So I don't want to go too far down a rabbit hole, because if you get me started talking about this topic, I may never end. But one of the things that I think about, you know, I've, I've got young kids, um, as well, I've got a first grader and a fourth grader, and I need them to know how to read. And if I have to prioritize the next most important thing, it's that I need them to know how to find, validate, and synthesize information. I, and I'm gonna get off my soapbox pretty soon here, but I am terribly concerned that in a global pandemic, we do not have a society equipped to find accurate information to make informed decisions about their health. Like that just scares me. It just scares me. And um, I I just worry that when we focus so much on memorize this fact and memorize that fact, like if you can find the fact, that's what's important. If you can use that information in a meaningful way, that's what's important. And so it's a rethinking of how we, because a lot of our, and my mentor Alan November will say this, a lot of our assignments were designed before the internet, like write, write the write about this war, write about this and we'll, we can look that information up easily. Like you need to put a spin on it that I can't Google. Like I need to like make a personal connection to this, explain your point of view on this, something that I can't just Google. And I think that, and, and I'll just say one more thing. I think it's really hard to make the shift because there's, I don't think there's any, system out there that's better than repli- replicating itself than education, because we all went through it. Like every teacher was a student at some point. And so how do we break this cycle? And it's also hard when our parents and families don't necessarily understand why memorizing facts are not the, the biggest thing out there. I want my kid to read, I want them to be able to find, validate, and synthesize information. To me, if they can do those things, that's, that's a game changer.
2: You know, it makes me think of like, um, so Christy and I, like a long time ago, (laughs) we did um, a presentation um, called Stop Building Missions. So in Southern California, because I know not everyone lives in Southern California, (laughs) or actually the whole state of California, a very common fourth grade project is to build or has been building one of the California missions out of sugar cubes. Okay. It was like a whole thing. And then that all eventually evolved into like all the craft stores just selling mission kits and then kids could just buy them and just build them, right? So my point being the, the background of this um, presentation and talk was really, you know, ask yourself, what is my end goal here with the kids? What do I want them to learn? What do I want them to walk away with? And why am I assigning this? Am I doing this only because we've always done it this way? Like, and, and then why, why can't we shift that? Why can't we change it and still have, you know, learn about this certain topic or whatever, but in a different way, that's going to be way more engaging for kids that helps them gain way more and is not just the result of me going, well, my, my dad made a mission. So like, whatever, <laughs> you know, so really being mindful about that. And then saying, Hey, I'm, I'm the teacher here. I can create a new experience and know that it's going to be okay.
0: Mm. So, so you've mentioned mindset quite a few times uh, doing this discussion and, and going through your book, I noticed that as a recurring theme, but how do teachers make that shift when they work in the school districts that they work in. And I understand that not all are the same, but everything is so regimented and everything is put in these little boxes and routines of this, 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 and this. And even school, and let's be real, a lot of education teacher programs are still graduating people the same way, preparing them the same way. You may get an ed tech class now, right? So you may graduate knowing how to do a Kahoot it but you was, you're you still taught how to teach even now the way people in year 2000, 1990s were prepared. So how do you get teachers to unlearn, right? All of that and to see things differently, especially when, you know, if they're reading this book or you're working with teachers, where they don't feel personally attacked or like you're wagging the finger saying, you know, all that you've been doing in the past is garbage. Uh, How do you get them to see the need to change the mindset, to change their views, but do so in a way in which that transition is productive and how they actually themselves see the need To make that shift
3: so gosh yeah I you know I love you and I just that is like something I'm so passionate about right now because I think it's all it goes all about being um to being vulnerable it really Mm -hmm. is and are we allowing our teachers that space to say I don't know how, or I made a mistake or like, I just had this discussion with some of my leaders and they were like, if we create growth mindsets in our own classrooms, like, Hey, it's okay to make mistakes. But then as a teacher, it's not okay to make a mistake. As an adult, it's not okay to make a mistake. Then how do I foster that with my kids? How Like I'm scared to speak up and say something, Because I don't want to get in trouble as a teacher. Like, look where we are in society right now. We can't post. We can't say anything because then we'll get attacked by all of that. And it's like, as I really do think it starts with us inside and our own internal growth. But I also truly, truly believe it starts with our leaders. So our principals, our superintendents, our directors, our assistants, all, all the above. But if, if you don't have that district that's doing it, you can still start within. And I think it is a lot of that work that's um, that vulnerability work that we can see in Daring um, Classrooms, which is Brene Brown's work with the um, Dare to Lead book and all of her work where it goes back to just um, naming things like that and making normalizing that it's okay to be vulnerable and what that looks like as humans it's really getting back to being humans. I feel like we've gotten so far away from that and the way that we treat each other, but it's allowing that space. And I think that um, as a person, you can do that individually, but I really, really hope that principals and leaders in, our, in education start to really take that to heart. It's Mark Brackett. I say, I'll say it again. It's his Permission to Feel book. It's all of that, and a lot of those resources we put into evolving learner because we're so so passionate about it. And I'm squishy inside. Social emotional learning is my own. Like I'm I am gooey, but I'm scrappy. Like I'll say it from, um, you know, Hamilton. Like I'm young, scrappy, and hungry. Like I I didn't come from I can I, I came from a lot of abuse and growing up, and I had to be the person that was like, if I'm gonna get out of this situation, this cycle of poverty, this cycle of abuse, the cycle of, um, I mean, everything, like I gotta do it myself and I gotta just be resilient and work hard. And it wasn't easy, but it's all about, um, you know, empowering yourself and going deep within and being like, I can be more, so what can I do? And I think it's the, the learning piece, like that if we can get our kids to fall in love with learning mm-hmm. and like seeking out, like, like being voracious le- readers, like I'm gonna learn and I'm gonna read, And like doing that with our teachers too. So they keep, they keep growing. Like we shouldn't just stop and be like, I'm good. I've learned everything. We got to keep going.
1: Yeah. I mean, you really have to be your own advocate. And if, if, I mean, one of the things we strive for in the book is if you're comfortable just doing this as your own thing, you can do that. We give you strategies for that. But if you want to take this to a... I'm going to go to my leadership or I am leadership. Like this is how you can make a more system-wide community-wide change because there's definitely stuff you can do on your own. But if you can get a group of teachers together and go to leadership and say, look, we need more choice in our professional learning. We have, that's great that we have this collective cycle of inquiry, but we need this for ourselves. And so I think, I think we've said that several times, like we need to, to ask learners what they need. But sometimes as learners, we have to tell what we need. We can't wait around to be asked. We just have to say, this is how it should be. And depending on your comfort level, um, you know, you can do it yourself, just for yourself internally. But if you can take that, you know, stance and advocate for your peers, and like, this is what needs to happen for us, that's really powerful. Some, And it's hard being a leader. Oh my gosh, I know I don't need to say that to Lauren and Christy, who are, you know, pandemic principals. But um, like, it's lonely in that, in that role. Like, I think a lot of principals would be open to a teacher coming and saying, look, this is not the professional learning we need. We need this. And so I think sometimes it's just speaking up, advocating for yourself.
2: I agree. And I think that, you know, like, I mean, well, I mean, Christy and I, we work in a fabulous district. And, um, but when writing this book, I think we all sat down and it had to like acknowledge hey there are teachers out there where if they wait around for what they actually need or want they'll turn to dust right or maybe th- there's probably teachers out there who you know would love to have a wonderful like teaching staffs around them who are all as energized or excited about certain topics as they are and they just aren't finding that right so really the the whole basis of what evolving learner is about is like well what then, right? Then what, what can I do? Where do I go? Where can I find what I need? Where can I find community? And where can I get energized about what I want to do as an educator? And so um, it's yes for the, for asking and yes, for joining together. And hopefully everyone out there and everyone listening is someone who's in a really good situation in their job and their profession and you can still benefit from this but it's especially to looking to people who are like there's something missing here or i feel like there's like something else that i need and how do i get that
0: uh this has been cool and i thank y'all for coming on uh laney you you got a copy of the book to show i
2: Well, wait, it's not, oh, because of my background.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You know, and it's always hard, but the the halo lights don't help us at all. We had a shiny cover. Next book, flat map cover.
0: (laughs) Yes. And people, you see the evolving uh, learner. uh, There will be links in the show notes for you to go purchase uh, the book, uh, you know, so you can get yourself, you know, watch a little Oprah Super Soul Sunday or something. We got the book, get yourself ready. Uh, So before we go, what is your call to action for those educators who are becoming disillusioned uh, with the profession and they're not sure where they fit anymore?
1: I mean, the whole book is about learning together, these learning relationships. So if you can make that connection, learning with your kids, learning with your peers, learning with the world, like maybe maybe it's only one of those right now. Maybe you're focused your head down into, I'm going to build those relationships with my kids and that's where I'm going to get my sense of belonging and my fulfillment. Um, Maybe it's all three of those channels. And then maybe, and I think it's important to make this point, it might be the world because sometimes like Lauren was alluding to, we're not always in the most ideal situation where we're like surrounded by people who are our people, <laughs> they're the people in the building or in the virtual building, but they're not necessarily the ones that we're the most connected to. There is a whole Twitterverse. <laughs> Twitter EDU is ready for you. And so I think there's plenty of opportunities to make those connections um, because we really, there's just, there's just no learning without relationships, in my opinion. Yeah, and mine was um, bring back the
3: fun. I mean, like, because honestly, what did we get into this profession um, for? We, we wanted to, most of us wanted to connect with kids and make a difference, right? And I think we're so in this era of like, have to do and oh my gosh, we're all online and, da, 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 and I'm like, well, wait, are you guys having, like, what can you do with your kids to connect with them? Because you're clearly not having fun anymore and you're, we're not connecting. So do I need to like stop my class for the day or whatever and just be like, we're going to have fun today? Because we used to do that in person, we're gonna do this today. And how much more are those kids gonna come back and wanna come back and wanna learn if they know that you wanna have fun and we wanna have an enjoyable experience? Sometimes we just need to like stop and have a day of connection. I think that would be huge. So try to connect either that, if with your kids or with
2: someone. And I would just say, start small. You know, Uh you, you just pick something, right? I mean, we're in a year, an era, I guess, where there's never been more asked of teachers. Never, ever, ever, ever. And everyone feels that. And you see it on people's faces and you feel it everywhere. So if you can just pick something and and start there and say, I'm going to try to master this right now. And then as you start to gain a little bit more of yourself back, you'll be able to invest more into your classroom. And so just just pick something and and go for it.
0: Awesome, awesome! Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you. Thanks for having thank us.
1: Can I do a quick little um, thank you to my co-authors? Because y'all, this I mean, fate, fate, like brought these two into my life, and the book is exponentially better because of them. And I could list all the things that they brought to it. Um, but really quickly, Christy, with the SEL stuff, like, oh my gosh, I learned so much from you. And Lauren, your way of breaking down social media and the archetypes and how to make that accessible for people who haven't been on Twitter before. And there's just so many ways that this book is infinitely better for them. And so I just wanted to take a moment to thank oh, them. Thanks.
3: We Please. were all squishy. There's nothing <laughs> to love
0: here. Thanks for having us, Dr. Will.
1: Thank you, Dr.
2: Will.
0: We're all squishy. It's
2: like the last tagline of the whole thing. You're
0: welcome. Yes, I get teary-eyed when I get some checks. Let me stop. Let me stop. People gonna people gonna see think that's just all who I am, which is not not the case, but. We know
1: your heart. We
0: know. Yes. But okay. I'm going to, I'm going to stop now because again, (laughs) people are going to get the wrong idea about, about, about me. Uh, So again, thank y'all for coming on the show. I definitely appreciate uh, you giving up your, your time and, uh, everyone with these virtual backgrounds and everything, and which is interesting because, you know, when you're looking and then people start moving and stuff stop, start to disappearing and reappearing in other places. And it's like <laughs> Zoom life, Zoom life. Uh, so, people, you know how I do this. This podcast episode will be on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Simplecast, Stitcher, and Spotify. I need you to subscribe and share yes i do like the stars but can a brother get some reviews i'm trying to be found and i'm trying to get oprah on the show and i want to know that we're doing big things around here yes i say it every episode because i do want oprah to come on so we can talk about the billion dollar empire oh my gosh i just i love her so much
1: <laughs> we all do it's it's, same. it's unanimous the entire world,
0: <laughs> love it, man. You understand? Oh, man, you know when Weight Watchers came to her and they said, "Would you be a part? Would you be a celebrity endorser?" She said, "Yes." For some stock, I said, "She didn't say <laughs> a check." She said, "Stock." I said, "Oh, Oprah, <laughs> Oprah." I just think of finances a little different, a little different. Uh, so, you know, like you, Dr. Uh, Andre, I have I have come from meager means. Uh, so finances and security in life mean a little different. To me, it's very high on my priority because I don't want to go back.
2: Yeah.
0: You know what I'm saying, to the lights off. I don't want to go ever go back. Yeah. That's I didn't even cut lights off in my own house right now. I just leave everything on. And my wife was like, <laughs> boy, just cut it off. I said, I don't care. It's going to be on. Uh, this is getting out of hand, people. So again, I'd like, like to thank my guest, Laney Rowell, for coming on. Uh, Dr. Andre and Dr. Steinman for coming on and dropping so many gems. And you need to go out there and buy. Get yourself a purchase of The Evolving Learner, okay? Don't treat it like a Netflix code and buy it and share it around. Get your own copy, okay? Get your own copy. Again, I'd like to thank everyone for checking out another episode of Dr. Will's show, The Mobile University for Entrepreneurs. As always, people, invest in you, EDU. Peace.